This is our last Sunday in our Christmas series. Uh, If you're a visitor, we have been doing something maybe a little different for Christmas. We have been using some of the classic best-loved Christmas carols as our window to look at the Christmas account and what God did at Christmas. So we've been through various Christmas carols. We're concluding today with the Christmas carol that's probably the most well-known throughout the world, Silent Night. And you're going to hear Liam Barrett sing that Christmas carol at the conclusion of this, leading us into our candle lighting ceremony. Silent Night is, uh, is coming up on its 200th birthday. It was written two, almost 200 years ago in 1818 in Austria. It was written by a Catholic priest, Joseph Moore, in a little town near Salzburg called Oberndorf. Uh, It really came about, he had been working on a poem, it had six stanzas to it, but he hadn't really pulled it all together. And then two nights before Christmas, on December 23rd, he watched a performance of a nativity play. You've you've been to those where the story out of Luke of Jesus' birth is reenacted. He was so moved by that, that that poem he had been working on came back to him. And he pulled it together in six verses. Really, only three are ones that are commonly sung today. Uh, But decided that that he wanted this to be sung at the Christmas Eve service of the church where he was serving at as assistant pastor, the Church of St. Nicholas in Oberndorf, Austria. He had one problem. He needed music to be set to it. And the organ at the church was broken at that time. And so he not only needed music to set this hymn, this carol to, but it had to be music that could be played by a guitar, the only other instrument that was available at that time. So he turned to his friend there who was also at the church, the organist, whose name was Franz Gruber, and asked, can you not only set this to music, but can you set it to music that you, Franz, can lead from the guitar, and by the way, we want to do this tomorrow at the service. Well, Franz Gruber was able to do that and put together a guitar melody, and that Christmas Eve in 1818 in that little town in Orbendorf, Austria, at the Church of St. Nicholas, Silent Night was sung for the first time. It was led by Joseph Moore, and it was accompanied on guitar by Franz Gruber. Neither of them really thought much whether this, this song would ever last beyond that Christmas Eve. But a couple of weeks later, there was an organ maker who had come to the Church of St. Nicholas to repair the organ under Franz Gruber's supervision. Once that organ was repaired, he asked Franz to test out that organ to see if it was working properly. And the, what Franz decided to play to test that organ was Silent Night. And as he began to play that, the organ maker, standing there observing to see if the organ worked, was so moved by the hymn that he asked more about it. And he was given the lyrics, and he asked to take the music and the lyrics with him and to share it with others in his hometown somewhere else in Austria, and he was given permission. The organ maker took the lyrics and the music of Silent Night back to his hometown and began to share it, including he shared it with a a group that at that time was at least known throughout Europe, a group of singers called the Strasser Singers. The Strasser Singers were so moved by it, they began to perform it everywhere they went. And soon, over the next 20 years, it spread all across northern Europe. 
20 years later, in 1828, the carol was first sung in the United States. It was sung in New York City at Trinity Church. There was a man there who who was on the staff of the church, and his hobby was to translate hymns uh, into English. And he, for the first time, translated Silent Night into English, and it was sung on Christmas in 1828 there in New York City. Today, as you probably know, this is probably the most well-known of all the Christmas carols. It's sung in more than 300 languages all around the world. In World War I, Silent Night played a special role in probably what was one of the most unique events in that whole war. It was 1914, and the Germans and the English were faced off against each other in trench warfare in Belgium, what is known as Flanders Field. And they were weary. They were hunkered down in trenches facing each other, maybe 60 yards apart. The trenches were muddy. They were full of water. It was cold. They were miserable. It was Christmas Eve, and they were homesick for their families and Christmas. At that point, we really don't know how it got started other than it started on the German side, but some Germans started to put some small Christmas trees up outside their trenches, even with lit candles burning on these trees. Somebody on the German side scrawled out a sign proposing maybe peace for Christmas. And at first, the shooting kept going. At first, the British soldiers ignored this and even shot at the trees. But then the German soldiers began to sing Silent Night. Now, the English soldiers, the British soldiers, of course, didn't recognize the German lyrics, but they recognized the melody. And they began to join in. And together, the two sides began to sing, each in their own language, this hymn, this carol, Silent Night. At that point, as the both sides sang that carol, soldiers began to get up out of the trenches on either side. And they came and they met in the middle of no man's land. They shook hands. They wished each other Merry Christmas. They buried their dead who was there, there in the no man's land. They exchanged what little gifts they could of, of candy, of, of, of cigarettes, of, of food that they had with them. Some even made a makeshift soccer ball and they began to play soccer matches, Germans against the British. And I understand the Germans won, if you're from German descent like I am. That peace, uh, that peace lasted for more than a day. And the, the generals on either side who were not there but heard of this, of course, this was an informal peace. They weren't pleased with it. They wanted the fighting to resume. They, they sent orders down that the men should get back in their trenches and keep fighting. And eventually that happened. But for a few precious hours, starting on Christmas Eve in the middle of a world war, there was really peace on earth and goodwill to men. And it all began with the singing of this carol that you're going to hear Liam sing in just a few minutes, Silent Night. Now, we don't look just at the history of these Christmas carols, as, as interesting as it is. Uh, we look through these carols, we look at them as, as a window to, to look at what Scripture says, and specifically what gospel truths are presented to us through these Christmas carols. And I have just a few minutes this morning. I can't mine everything out of this Christmas carol. 
And frankly, this is not as full of biblical references as some of the other carols that we've looked at, but it definitely has some rich ones, including the reference in the first verse to Yon Virgin Mother. Now, that's a term often, that, that yon virgin mother, that you probably have to explain to your kids what that means. The yon part is, is, is old. That comes from, from Old English, influenced by Germanic origin. Yon simply means that. It's a reference to Mary, that mother of that baby, Mary, who was a virgin. What's highlighted here? And how does it help us understand a little bit about the gospel? Well, this highlights the truth that Jesus was conceived in the womb of his mother, Mary, without any human father. Matthew writes that. Matthew tells us, Matthew 1.18, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. So what's the truth there? Mary became pregnant before she and Joseph ever consummated their marriage, before they were together intimately. And her pregnancy did not come about by the participation of any other man. It came, we're told by Matthew, it came through the supernatural agency of the Holy Spirit. Now we see this as well a couple verses later in Matthew 1.20, shortly after Mary became pregnant, and she's wrestling with, how did this happen? How did this, this occur? Because I have not been with a man. An angel of the Lord, we're told her, appears to her fiancé, Joseph, in a dream and says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, even because she's pregnant, a great scandal in those days. Why? Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Again, the message is clearly Mary's pregnancy was accomplished by the miraculous intervention of the Holy Spirit, and she remained a virgin until after Jesus was born. Now, if you're from a Catholic background, um, belief departs from there. Mary, after Jesus was born, did go on to have children with her husband and had other children. She didn't remain a virgin perpetually, but at the time that Jesus was conceived, she was a virgin. The effect of this miraculous conception is that the baby Jesus was truly, in the, the lyrics of Silent Night, was truly a holy infant. Holy infant so tender and mild. Why is that important and what does that say? Well, it's seen in what the angel Gabriel says to Mary in Luke 1.35. This is something that Frank just read a little bit earlier. The angel answered Mary and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. What does this mean? It means that Jesus was fully human because He was born just like you and I were born. But even though He was fully human, He inherited no sinful nature. Every one of us has inherited a sinful nature. We're told in Romans chapter 5 that when Adam sinned, it was like an infection that spread to every one of us. So every one of us, just simply by the fact that we descend from Adam, we come into this world infected by the same sin, that same spirit of rebellion, that same desire to live life our own way apart from God, 
that infects us all coming into this world. But that wasn't true of Jesus. Jesus was not infected by that because Jesus had no human father. The link of lineage, the link of, des- of descendants was cut off in his case. Unlike us, we all had a human father. Jesus had no human father. So he was not infected by Adam's guilt. He was not infected or corrupted by the corrupt moral nature of Adam. What does that mean for you and me? It means that we really view Jesus as holy. He is the only one who is morally and spiritually pure and perfect. And therefore, He is able to represent us, to represent you and me, to intercede for us before God. Only a holy person can do that, can come between us in our sin, our rebellion, and a holy God. But this one, Jesus, as a holy child, as as, as free of infection from sin, He can perfectly represent us. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews tells us that He is the kind of high priest that we need. Why? Because He is holy and blameless, unstained by sin. That's what we worship. That's what we praise Him for as we sing that line of this Christmas carol. So in that first verse, put those two phrases together, virgin mother and holy infant. Why? Because together they remind us that Jesus came into this world united in His deity and His humanity. Those two things, fully God and fully man, united and one person. If Jesus hadn't been truly human, if we hadn't seen that He was born like you and I were born, would we ever be able to relate to Him? Would we ever be able to believe that He really is a human being who can understand what you and I go through? But by the same token, if Jesus had been conceived through the participation of a human father, would we ever be able to believe that He really came into the world in any kind of state in which He could have accomplished what He did at the cross for you and for me, that He was fully divine, fully pure, able to do spiritually what He claimed He was able to do? But because He was a human being just like us, Hebrews 4.15 says, that you and I, we can be confident that He understands our weaknesses. He understands what it is to be human and all the pain and the suffering and the struggling that we go through. That He faced all the same testings, all the same temptations that we do. He is a compassionate and understanding Savior because of His humanity. And because He was born without a human father, we can be confident that He did not sin that He was perfectly holy, so He can be our Savior. He can do for us what none of us could do for anyone else because we are not holy, we are not pure, we are not spiritually unstained. And that's the truth, that He was born of a virgin mother and was a holy infant. And it means that He is the perfect intermediary. He's the perfect mediator. 1 Timothy 2.15 says that because Jesus Christ was fully human and fully divine, He is the one and only mediator between God and man. I get a little bit what a mediator is. I, for a period of time in my life, I worked as an attorney and a mediator, including working for the American Arbitration Association as a mediator. And I understand that from the legal perspective, a mediator has to be one who who is equal before both sides. If he or she is seen to be biased towards one side or another side in a dispute, he or she will never be able to bring the two sides together. But a mediator 
who shares equally with both sides is able to bring the two sides together. That's what Jesus does as our mediator. He, being human, can represent us before God. He understands what we struggle with. He, being fully divine, can represent God to us, can bring us before God because he understands God's concern for justice, for holiness. He is the one and only perfect mediator. And that comes because he was born of a virgin mother and he was a holy child, a holy infant, so tender and mild. Well, there's more in the first verse, but moving on to the second verse. The second verse reflects the account of the shepherds in Luke 2. That's what Frank just read to the kids a few minutes ago. We we heard that. The shepherds, like in the, the words of Silent Night, they are quaking in fear at the sight. What do they see? They see glory streaming from heaven afar, or as Luke describes this, they see an angel of the Lord appear among them, They see the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounding them, and understandably, they were terrified. They were terrified until they heard the good news of great joy. Here was the good news. Frank read it. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Or in the lines of Silent Night, Christ the Savior is born. The key line at the end of the second verse Now, what's significant about this for us? Well, many things, but the one I would dwell on this morning is the fact that Christ the Savior was born on Christmas. That is the fulfillment of a promise that God made to you and me, to all humanity, all the way back at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 3.15. Right after our first father and mother decided to go their own way, they did what we would have done if we had been in their shoes there, They chose to live life on their own terms, apart from God. They chose to disregard what God said was right and wrong and determine for themselves what was right and wrong. Just after that, as God addresses the one who brought that temptation, Satan, in the form of a serpent, God makes this promise among all he says. Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman will crush Satan's head. Now, this is the first promise in the Bible of a Savior, of a Redeemer, of this one who came from Christmas, came the first Christmas. The seed refers to Jesus Christ, who would be born of a woman, Mary. That's significant because throughout the Bible, descent and lineage normally came from the the Father, from a man. But here it is the seed of a woman, not a man who will crush Satan's head who will triumph over him at the cross, who will finally destroy him as he returns in glory. And I want you to see that all of this was promised by God immediately following the fall. Man's, man and woman's turn away from God, that didn't catch him off guard. That didn't surprise him. He didn't have to go to plan B. He intended all along to bring a Savior, to bring a Redeemer for you and me. Back at that time, it was unknown who that seed would be or when he would come until we're told by the Apostle Paul in Galatians 4, when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law, the penalty for sin like you and I are, to redeem those who are under the law, that's you and me, so that we might receive adoption as sons. 
And that's that first Christmas. That's really what the angels are praising. Christ the Savior is born. In God's perfect time, Jesus Christ came into the world, born of a woman, born of Mary, to redeem us, to be our Savior. Well, finally, the third verse probably stands out to me the most with, with the, the phrase that, if I remember any phrase of Silent Night, it's, it's this phrase, Son of God loves pure light. Now, loves pure light, that is poetic imagery. But even though it's poetic imagery, it doesn't mean it is not real. It describes something about our Savior. It describes how Jesus Christ coming into the world all through His ministry, and even today, He illuminates for you and for me what genuine love really is. We hear all kinds of promises about what true love is as we go through this life as human beings. Do we not? How many do we find disappointing? How many do we find even deceptive? But here in Jesus Christ and what He did coming into the world, living His earthly ministry, walking all the way to the cross for you and for me, He illuminates what genuine love really is. He is the one and only love's pure light. Philippians 2, Paul describes it in Philippians 2 this way, Jesus Christ being in very nature God, He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. What does that mean? It means He is the second person of the Godhead. He was in heaven in all of that glory. He did not have to come down. He could have retained that place in glory, but He didn't hold on to that. Paul goes on, He made Himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. He, in coming to earth that first Christmas, He laid aside all the glory of His divine position so that He could take upon Himself in humility a human body, a human soul like you and I have. I don't think we can fully comprehend what a humbling that was for a divine being. Paul goes on, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. In becoming a man, he didn't come to live as a prince in a palace. He came the most humble way in that stable, born in a, in, in a barn or in a cave. He came to walk the humble road leading to his crucifixion on a cross all for your and my sin, for our spiritual problem with God. That's why He humbled Himself. So when we think of those song lyrics, love's pure light, I I think of what John says in 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love really is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. You want to see the radiance of love's pure light? You see it in that one who comes into the world that first Christmas, who lives in humility, who walks all the way to the cross, who offers himself up, taking all of our sin, all the sin of the world upon himself so that we can have a right relationship with God. Derek Thomas imagines God the Father speaking to Christ the Son before he came into the world. And this is, this is out of Derek's imagination, but I, I love it, and I, I could conceive of it being something like this. And here's how he imagines the dialogue being. The father says, son, I want to make a great multitude of people 
from every nation, from every tribe, from every ethnicity, from every language. I want to rescue them from their slavery to sin. I want to deliver them from the lost state of damnation that they're in. But it's going to require this. It's going to require someone becoming human like Adam, someone who can do what Adam couldn't do, someone who can actually undo the consequences of what Adam did. My son, will you do that? And Thomas imagines Jesus saying, I will, Father, I will. And the father says to the son, you understand, son, that if you do this, you will become the target of satanic attack greater than that than any human being has ever endured. I understand, Jesus says, and I will do this. You understand, son, that if you become a substitute for sinners, they will torture you and nail you to a cross. Do you understand that? I understand, Jesus says, and I am willing Do you understand, my son, the father says, that my justice requires that I will have to pour out all of my wrath upon that sin which you take upon yourself? Do you understand that in doing that, there will come a point where you will feel completely forsaken by me as I pour out my wrath upon you? And Jesus says, I understand. And will you, the father says, still become the Savior of sinners? Yes, Jesus says, I will. Why? The father asks. And the son answers, because I love them. Because I love them. In the words of John, this is how we know what love is. In the words of Joseph Moore in Silent Night, this is love's pure light. And it radiates from this little baby born in Bethlehem that first Christmas. I wonder if you're, as you're here this morning, I wonder if you've really seen that light. You know, there's lots of beautiful lights at Christmas. We like the lights on our trees. We like lights on our house. We like lights of candles. We're going to do a candle lighting in just a moment. It's a beautiful, visually beautiful time of year when we consider all the lights. But if you haven't seen this light, if you haven't seen love's pure light and what Jesus has done for you, and if you've not responded to that, you're still in darkness. This Christmas, even this morning, you can respond to that. This is something that is open to anyone who responds to it in trust and faith. And you can do that even this morning. You can come up to me even after the candle lighting this this morning, and I would love to talk with you more about this or pair you with somebody who can. But before I'm done, let me go to the last phrase of the third verse. We typically sing only three verses, even though there were six. The last phrase of the third verse reads, Jesus, or it concludes with these words, Jesus, Lord at thy birth. Where does that come from? I'd read Philippians 2 about how the Son left His place in heaven in all that glory, humbled Himself and came to this earth, walked humbly all the way to the cross. How does the Father respond? We're told in Philippians 2.9, the end of that passage, God elevated Him to the place of highest honor, and He gave to Him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
What's the name of the Father? What's the name, excuse me, of Jesus that the Father honors him with? It is Lord. It is Lord. That is the Old Testament equivalent of Yahweh. What is the Father saying? I honor the Son by saying He is God. He is the one to bow to. He is the one to bow the knee in your heart to. He is the one not only to believe in as your Savior, but to surrender your life, to say, Lord, I have been living my own way without you. I turn to you. I want, by the power of your Holy Spirit helping me, I want to live for you. Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to trust in you and what you have done to make me right with God. I want you to bring me into a right relationship horizontally with God, or excuse me, vertically with God and horizontally with everyone else around me and I want to follow you to truly worship the holy infant born on that silent night is to recognize and honor and follow Jesus Christ as your Lord. And again, you have the opportunity to do that even this morning and make this Christmas perhaps the first truly meaningful Christmas you've ever known in your life if you haven't done that. We're going to conclude in just a moment with a really a visual picture of love's pure light. And I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, and uh, I'm going to ask the senior staff, if you're here and your senior staff, would you come up with me in just a minute and help me with the candle lighting? And uh, I'm, I'm going to ask Liam Barrett to come up because he's going to sing Silent Night in just a moment. But let me give some instructions while all those people are coming up and getting into place. As they come up and they get into place and Liam begins to sing, uh, I'm going to light the candles of our senior staff members. Our senior staff members are then going to take their candles and they're going to light the candles at the end of the rows. What we would like you to do is carefully, so as not to spill wax, to light the light uh, of the candle next to you. And we're going to let that spread all through here. Now, why are we doing this? Are we doing this simply because it's a really neat visual image? It is, but that's not why we're doing it. We are doing this as really a visual picture with deep symbolism. This is a picture of love's pure light. This is a picture of when I respond to Jesus, when I recognize Him as my Savior, when I respond to Him by the name that God has honored with Him as Lord, the light, His his pure light begins to fill me, and I extend that light to others. We do this really as a picture of how Jesus spreads through all of us as we trust in Him as Savior and Lord. I hope you can do that in your heart as well as in your candles this morning. So again, we're going to have Liam sing to us. We're going to light the candles. We're going to demonstrate love's pure light. If senior staff can come on up. i
pray as we close. Lord God, may this image of love's pure light from these candles, from this hymn, may it stay in us. May it, may it, um, may it bother us in a good way as we contemplate how you, Jesus, have been the only genuine demonstration of what real love is. In coming into this world and walking all the way to the cross, and taking our sin, our rebelliousness upon yourself, and dying and, and, and being raised again so that we can be made right with God. And as we go through the rest of this Christmas season with our friends, with our family, Lord God, may lights remind us, point us back to Jesus and what he has done for us. May every man and woman, boy and girl here respond to him as the Savior who is born as the one who is truly Lord. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.